Please pray with me. Lord, I thank you that your word, this book, is living and active. And I ask, Lord God, that you would come and preach to us. Help me be your mouthpiece this morning. I pray that you'd give us the courage to trust you. I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So a number of years ago, I think it's probably seven or eight now, I was part of a group of guys that would ride bicycles on Wednesday mornings. Uh, I eventually stopped riding with them because even though they were almost twice my age, they got a lot faster than me and I couldn't keep up. So I stopped riding with them. But one of the guys who has since moved to North Carolina uh, was on, on one of the rides and got home and just felt off that day. It was kind of a scary experience he had, but he was dragging. He wasn't riding very well. He got home and just felt weak. And later got um, dressed and was going to go out to dinner. And his mom and dad, uh, their older parents, picked him and his wife up. And they start driving to the restaurant. And he said, we're not going to the restaurant. We're going to the ER right now. They took him to the ER, and they discovered that one of his major arteries was 90-plus percent blocked. He was like this close to leaving his family and meeting Jesus. And I went and prayed with him the next day, and we both kind of had some tears about how really blessed he was to have discovered this when he did. Uh, If he hadn't been pushing so hard on his bike, he probably wouldn't have felt off, and who knows what would have happened. But then he said, I feel great. And I thought, of course you do. Your blood is now flowing where it's supposed to. And the thing about it is, that buildup in his artery didn't happen overnight, over a year, over even three or four years. It was probably, I'm guessing he was 50-something then, it was five decades of life. And in a similar way, the hardness of heart our text is talking about doesn't happen overnight. It's the kind of thing that builds and builds and builds. But what this person experienced when they put the stent in and the blood started flowing again um, was so sudden that he realized the contrast. And I want to speak to you today about your heart, I want to speak to you today about rest, because Hebrews chapter 4 speaks about both quite a bit. And I'm believing that if your heart is handed over to the Lord to be the surgeon of your heart, that you will experience a kind of rest that will feel like my friend. I feel great. So I want to invite you to consider this passage. It's uh, in in the Bible. It's uh, page 1002, Hebrews chapter 4. We're in our series, working our way through Hebrews over these six weeks. And rest is in this passage 10 times. In an exercise of self-awareness, I might ask you, how rested do you feel? I don't mean, did you sleep well last night? I mean, how rested do you feel? And in the, um, the whole book of he- the letter to the Hebrews, uh, 11 times the word heart is mentioned. Heart is really important and rest. And in our text, there is both a problem and a promise. And the problem is this, seeking rest in the wrong places. And the promise is this, there is real rest available in Christ. But you're going you're to have to do something to get that rest. Real rest requires the surgeon's scalpel. And I'm going to come back to that. But I want to give you a visual image. And I'm going to put up here on the screen, go ahead, you can put it up on the screen. Those are four pictures of hearts. I just kind of pulled them off the internet. I want you to pick one of them as the image for your heart. And if you don't like any of those, pull out your phone, just put in human heart image, Google an image, and find one you like. But you can't, I don't want one of these. Don't, we don't want one of these. I want it to look complicated because heart surgery is complicated. And there are a lot of places in there where 
Hardness could be hiding. Blockage could be hiding. It's not a simple thing. And if you, know, if you like the more blood and guts, pick one of the ones in the upper right or lower left. If you, if you want to be more you know, academic and pull one out of an anatomy book, pick the ones with you know, pointing to the different atria and the, all that sort of stuff. Um, so pick one and just in your mind go, okay, that's my heart. Be thinking about your heart today. Hebrews 4.7 sums everything up from this chapter this way. Hebrews 4.7 says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. It mentions Psalm 95. That's where that quote comes from. Psalm 95 is quoted all through here, which we read earlier. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. The hardening of hearts is a slow, habitual not listening to God. It doesn't happen overnight, just like congestive heart failure. It does not happen overnight. It's a gradual hardening of your heart by the habit of not listening to his voice. Now, we have to jump to three different places. We've got Hebrews 4, which is quoting Psalm 95, which is quoting Numbers 20. Psalm 95 mentions a place called Meribah. Do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, in the place where your fathers put me to the test. And I swore in my wrath, they would not enter my rest. So I'm going to jump over to Numbers 20, verses, uh, it's, it's, well, it's the first 10 verses in there. It's page 128 in a pew Bible. You don't have to go there, but if you're someone who likes to like, see it in its context, feel free to grab a pew Bible. I'm going to describe here what happens, and I'm going to read a couple of verses. This is the Israelites, the people of God, leaving Egypt and being led by Moses into the wilderness and on their way up to Canaan, the promised land. But it doesn't go well. Now there was no water for the congregation, and they assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron, and the people quarreled. Quarreled, in Hebrew, is Meribah. The Lord actually names this place Meribah because of the quarreling. The people gathered, and they quarreled with Moses and said, Oh, that we had perished when our brothers perished before the Lord. Why have you brought the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness that we should die here, both we and our cattle? So they're seeking rest in a certain way here. We'd rather die. I'll get all the sleep I need when I'm dead. That idea. They're like, I I know how I'll get rest. I'd rather die. I wish we had died like the other people that died. That's not a good form of rest. God has a better thing for them. To choose to want to die to get rest is not the rest that you actually need. It goes on. It goes further. Verse 5, it says, And why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It's no place for grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, and there's no water to drink. So what's another form of rest? They were thinking we'd rather die. Now they're thinking, we want comfort food. I want pomegranates. I want figs. I want vines. I want wine. I want the food we had back in Egypt. Pay no mind to the fact that we were slaves. They fed us well. We had good stuff to eat there. And here we are, and there's sand and manna from heaven, miraculous bread. But they don't seem to care about the fact that God is miraculously feeding them. They want pomegranates, and they want figs, and they're complaining. They think if they have comfort food, they will feel rested. Now, even Moses starts to quarrel. He gets, he gets, I think he gets weary from them quarreling with him. So Moses has trouble here, and it ends up costing him his entrance into the promised land, actually. So Moses goes before God, and the Lord descends in his glory to the tent where they would meet, and he says this, 
Take your staff and assemble the congregation, you and Aaron, your brother, and tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. Did you catch that? Pay attention. Tell the rock to yield its water before their eyes. And then at verse 10, it says, Then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the Lord, and he said to them, Hear now, you rebels. This is the pot calling the kettle black. I would have done the same thing, so please, I'm not standing in judgment over Moses. I'm just identifying. Hear now, you rebels. Shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice, and water came out abundantly. Now, I imagine when he struck the rock with his staff, he looked at it. Like when you miss the tennis ball and you look at the racket as if it's the racket's fault, or you miss the nail and you look at the hammer and and then you hit harder. He looked at his staff, hit the rock again, and then God honored it and let the water come out. But what had God told him? Speak to the rock and say, again, I don't know what this, rock, bring forth thou water. I, I don't know what that looked like. But Back in Exodus 15 through 17, God said, I will go before you onto the rock and strike the rock and then water will come out. This time he says, say to it, speak to it. What does Moses do? He vents his anger with violence, which if you're weary is tempting. If you're weary and tired, it feels good to do something violent like that for about 10 seconds, but that's not the right form of rest. So in this passage right here, we see death, comfort food, and violence as some ways that people are pursuing rest. You could name a hundred other ones. You could probably say what your temptation is. Is it the, the chemical type of rest? I just want to have three glasses of wine every night. Or I want to shop on Amazon because when I hit purchase, I feel an adrenaline rush. Or I want to look at images because I feel better when I do that. Or you, we could keep going. I, I come up with a hundred of these. But You need a heart surgeon to look at your heart and tell you what those are. But I want to encourage you to think, what am I tempted to look for to get rest other than God? What would that be? What's my escape when I'm weary? I've told you before that acronym HALT, H-A-L-T, hungry, angry, lonely, tired, tired, weary. When you're tired and weary, HALT, because you are way more prone to stumbling. That's just, you're just way more open to temptation in those moments when you're weary. Moses was awesome, as we heard last week. Mark preached to us. Moses was awesome, and yet he was weary. And so he disobeyed God, and he vented his anger by striking the rock. So what's, what's yours? Today, if you hear his heart or hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Pay attention to the voice. Habitual ignoring causes a kind of spiritual heart disease. Now, that's the problem. And in this text, we have a problem and we have a promise. So I want to jump to the promise now. So flip back over to Hebrews. Go back to, what is it, page 1002. And the very first verse says this. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, we haven't, you haven't missed it. The deal is still on the table. You have not missed it. Verse 9 says, um, so then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. You haven't lost out. You haven't missed a deal. There remains a Sabbath rest. He's still offering you something. Those who are weary, there is something being offered. Now, I've been studying this text all week. And as I thought through Psalm 95 and the thing about hardening hearts and God's rest and the the parallel between Moses and Joshua and pointing to Jesus, who's greater, two verses didn't fit. 
Verses 12 and 13 to me, just, they didn't seem to fit the context or the flow. And usually when that happens, that's a key to dial into those texts because you'll get some good insights and it might even be the key to the whole passage, which I think is the case. You know verse 12 if you've been around the church a while. The, the word of God is living and active. It's what? Sharper than any two-edged sword. You know that passage. It's our favorite proof text to go to to say this is a powerful book, Hebrews 4.12. But very rarely when we quote that do we think of the context it's in. In the context, it's talking about hardness of heart and the promise of rest, and he's telling you how you can get it. Real rest requires the surgeon's scalpel. That's scary to think about a double-edged sword and the sharpness of it. The next verse is scary as well. Verse 13 says this, no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. You know, there are so many images in social media and fiction on movies and TVs of the all-seeing eye. You know, Big Brother is watching. Or um, if you uh, like the Lord of the Rings, that big red fiery eye of the evil dark Lord seeing everything. Or if you had to read The Great Gatsby, when he drives through the, the land of sin, there's the eye doctor's billboard up with his spectacles and the eye of Dr. Eccleton or whatever the guys that you guys that are in school know. The eye is watching you like this, watching. And when we hear that God sees everything, that's scary. It's scary to think, he sees me. And un- unless you know both his plan and his character, to understand something about what it is that he's doing is so helpful. The sword image, a double-edged sword, is kind of scary. There was a kid in my youth group in Houston who, you know, in the mall, they have those little boutiques that sell knives and swords and, and stuff like that. He just was drawn to that stuff. So he buys a samurai sword. You know where this is going, right? It can't end well. He couldn't afford the good one that had the nice handle, but it's a double-edged samurai and he got it, got it home, and he's in his bedroom, and he sets a Coke can up on the wooden end of his headboard, and he's going like this, you know? Hang on. So these things are dangerous. And then he goes, like that, but hits the wood, the sword stops, and his hand goes right up. Yeah. Cut the nerve, had to do, or cut the tendon, had to have surgery. I don't even know. I know the sword was cheap. I'm sure the surgery wasn't. The idea of it, it cuts on both sides, right? So like, this is the word of God, and I want to preach to you, but the problem is it's, it goes this way. It shoots back. It's double-edged. In fact, if you look at it, it says it's sharper. The word of God is living and active sharper than any two-edged sword. It cuts. It cuts deep. It says it, it pierces to the division of soul and of spirit, joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. God's word, if you'll let it, if you don't harden yourself, if you, if you let it, it will get all the way into that thing. It will go into the parts that you can't even see, and it will it'll heal you. It will soften your heart, unless if you hear his voice, you harden your hearts. The invitation is to let the surgeon's scalpel work, and he's promising a kind of rest with that, that, that we don't understand. Now, his plan and his character are what we have to understand if we're going to welcome these two verses. So what is the plan? Well, Hebrews 4, 8 through 10 says this, for if Joshua, who was Moses' successor and did lead them into the promised land, for if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. 
Remember, Jesus is greater. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. When Jesus hung on the cross, he declared, it is finished. He finished his work on the cross. And what you and I are tempted to do, just like the Israelites, is we are tempted to strive for that rest in our own abilities. We go looking for it in things that we think we can acquire. And what the word is telling us is Jesus did the work for you. And his plan is to apply his work on the cross to your life and to transform you into his image, to make your heart like his heart. That's his plan. So like Ephesians 2.8 says that we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus. God is doing a work in those who will let him do it. Real rest comes from the surgeon's scalpel. And thinking about a scalpel being even sharper than a double-edged sword, you know the thing about a really sharp edge is it doesn't hurt all that much. The other, uh, last summer I was doing a bathroom renovation. I had a, a mirror that I had to dispose of and I broke it into pieces and I had gloves on and I was putting the pieces into a bin, just like picking them up. But I was going kind of fast and I went, tunk, tunk, I still have the mark right there. I just went, I didn't even feel it. And I went, <gasps> my arm just opened up. It didn't even bleed for like 30 seconds because it was such a clean cut. It didn't hurt. I went into the house and then it started bleeding and I had to put a bandaid on it. I probably should have had a stitch. But my point is the surgeon's scalpel is so sharp that it doesn't hurt like you think it will. And then let's talk about his character. That passage from the gospel that Grace read for us, the first reading today, Jesus says, if you're weary and heavy laden, come to me and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus is gentle. He's not some kind of a hack of a surgeon. He's, he's excellent. He's gentle. He loves you. And what he's saying is, bring your heart to me. If you hear my voice, don't harden it. Bring it to me. Trust me with it. That's the invitation he has. Now, in this life, the rest is partial. You know, you read this and you go, yeah, but you still have stuff to do. Absolutely. He says, it is a yoke. Take my yoke upon you. But he says it's easy and it's light. And what happens is we try to get rest in our own efforts and it doesn't work and it wearies us even more. And if we'll actually believe God's word, bring him your heart. What it practically looks like is this. You go, okay, God, search me. I think it's Psalm 139, the last two verses. Search me and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. You read his word and then you let it read your heart. And you say, okay, great surgeon. I, I, can't, I can't even understand the human heart, the physical one, much less the spiritual one. It's deceitful above all things. I, it, it, I don't even know it that well. But God, you made me, and you know my heart better than I know it. And you're the great surgeon, and you're gentle. So this morning, if you're weary of trying to find rest in the wrong places, I want you to bring your heart to God, and I want you to let him apply his word to it. As you read this book, just read even the Gospels. Look at who Jesus is. Look at what he was like. You will find rest for your souls. It's a peace that surpasses understanding, and it's what you were made for. So I want to pray now, and I want to invite you to do that, to just bring your heart to God. Lord Jesus, you are so good to us. You are merciful. You are gentle and kind. Help us to trust you, Help us to receive your word today. Lord, search our hearts. Show us the hard places. Lord, heal our ears. We've made a habit maybe of 
ignoring your voice. Would you help us fix that? Speak once again that we might obey. I ask this in your holy name. Amen.